Amen, amen. Hey, if you would, grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 12 this morning. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. If you need a Bible under a seat nearby, you'll find a Bible under one of those chairs and grab that and get it open on your lap to Acts uh, chapter 12 this morning. And um, as you turn there, I just want to kind of right up front and uh, just, just kind of show the cards right away in this sermon to tell you what this sermon is all about, to say the entire sermon in one sentence up front and then spend the rest of our time working towards the destination of this. But uh, if someone asks you this week, what was the message about Sunday. Here it is. Refusing to give God glory with my life will bring God's judgment on my life. Refusing to give God glory with my life will bring the judgment of God on my life. Um, we <clears throat> Last week, we're introduced to uh, someone in the story of Acts, uh, King Herod. And uh, as Acts chapter 12 began, it looked like King Herod, it looks like King Herod is completely in control of everything. He, um, he has just had James, a follower of Jesus, ar- uh, arrested and killed, and then he's arrested Peter, and he, he has Peter on this track to Peter losing his life as well, but there's this miraculous escape from prison that God leads, and Peter gets out, and so Herod has the guards who were guarding Peter. He has them killed. Uh, Peter, or, uh, uh, Herod is not a nice guy. Herod is a vicious leader. Herod has taken on the role of executioner, of persecutor, um, that once Saul was converted, that Saul vacated. And Herod is, 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 is a vicious guy who's taking lives. And now um, as Acts chapter 12 ends, we see that God, to use the phrase that was used last week, we see that God flips the script. Uh, the executioner is going to get executed. Uh, the killer is going to be killed. And um, as we make our way in these last six verses of Acts chapter 12, um, um, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, he, he tells us very blatantly, he tells us very directly why Herod was killed. He says Herod was killed because he did not give the glory to God. Now, we are here today Because none of us want what this statement that the sermon is all about. None of us want that for our life. No one wants the judgment of God who is here today, I don't think. No one wants um, God's hand against us. We are here today because we want the blessing of God on our life. We want God's hand with us. And all of this is tied into what we do with this word called glory. What do we do with this word called glory? How do we understand why we're even in existence today? How do we understand that why God has gotten us up another day and put breath in our lungs today? It's all about glory, but it's glory directed in the right way, and it's glory directed to the right who. And so we're going to make our way through these final six verses in Acts chapter 12. And when we get to verse 23, we're going to stop for an extended period of time today, and we're going to do a teaching on glory. And as we do a teaching on glory, and as we look at the life of a man whose life was taken from him because he refused to give God glory, we're going to walk through just four questions that I think are important for us here today. And these four questions that we'll walk through in this sermon are this. What is the glory of God? It's an important question because we say all the time that we exist for God's glory and it's all about the glory of God, but what is the glory of God? Uh, The second question, what does it mean to give God glory? So if we know what God's glory is, how do we live a life to the glory of God? Thirdly, why doesn't God share his glory? 
An important question for us, why won't he share his glory? And then fourthly, how do we avoid a life of what we're about to see here, of attempted glory robbery? Because attempted glory robbery, as we'll see in this passage, was a capital offense to Herod. And um, this message, just to say at the outset, there's a tendency where we'll walk out of today's sermon and go, man, I just wish it was more practical. This is not a sermon on... um, five ways to make your life better. This is not a sermon on uh, three paths to a more fulfilling life. And uh, our tendency in a very pragmatic culture in which we live is to go, man, I just wish that was more practical, but I, but I submit to us today, church, this is the, the most deeply practical thing we can talk about that's out there. Why? Because understanding God's glory and how to live a life all to the glory of God, it permeates every single corner of our world. It permeates everything that we do. It affects how we parent and how we go to work and how we go to school and how we come home and how we do all of life. If we can orient our life all around the glory of God, it will change everything about how we live, and that's what we're after today. And we want to heed the warning that we see of how Herod loses his life here at the end of Acts 12. And so, if you will, pray with me, and let's ask God to open our heart for a teaching on his glory today that will radically affect us. God, I ask for help now. A million sermons could be preached on your glory, and they wouldn't even touch a fraction of who you are and all your splendor. God, there's not words that we can put to a definition of your glory. God, we can't even humanly teach it in a way that will um, grip, the heart, grip our hearts. Lord, your spirit has to come now and give us a glimpse of the glory of who you are. God, you got to teach this lesson to us today. And Lord, as we look at the fate of King Herod here, God, we want to learn the lessons we need to learn that we don't want to live a life of attempted glory robbery. We want to live this life for your glory. We want to deflect all glory that's brought horizontally in our direction. We want to deflect it vertically to you because you are the only one worthy of glory. And so, God, will you teach us now in power as your word is is, is proclaimed? And, God, would you partner the proclamation of your word with the power of your spirit? so that the preaching of your word would not be in the plausible words of man, but a demonstration of power in the spirit. That's the prayer, Lord. We ask you to do it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 12, pick up the story with me in verse 20. We just, as I've told you before, uh, Herod has had Peter arrested. God has miraculously allowed Peter to escape. Herod has the guards executed for this. And then Herod takes off uh, to the coast of the Mediterranean. And this is where we pick it up. Verse 20. Now Herod, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. And so a a bit of a shift in the story here, and we got to understand what has happened. Uh, Herod has taken off from Jerusalem, and he's now on the coast in uh, the city of Caesarea. 
Uh, Caesarea um, is, uh, sits on the coast of the Mediterranean. Just north of Caesarea is a region defined by two cities, Tyre and Sidon. And it's evident based on what we're told here that Tyre and Sidon in the region of Judea have had a, a, a political understanding, uh, mutual help in the past. It says Tyre and Sidon depended on this area for food up north, but something happened. There's been a political risk. And Herod is upset with these cities in the north, and these cities in the north are feeling it. They're like, we need food, and we need the Judean region, and we have to figure out how to get back in Herod's good graces. And so verse 20 tells us, they come down with one accord. They come down all together, and they know they need an in. They know that Herod is so upset with them, they're never going to get a hearing with him. They need someone who can get them in, and they find their in in a man with an awesome name, Blastus. I ran this name by my wife for our next son, who's still here. She vehemently vetoed. She doesn't know a good name when she hears it. You always do, uh, as a former athlete, you always do the PA announcer test. Touchdown, Blastus Graham. Is that fantastic, man? It tells us Blastus in the ESV is the king's chamberlain. What in the world does that mean? Uh, other, anyone else, other translation, who is Blastus? Be bold, shut it out. Trusted advisor, thank you. Uh, Blastus is King Herod's trusted advisor. Um, he's, the, he's the personal assistant. He's the guy who can get the people of Tyre and Sidon a hearing before Herod. And so uh, Blastus gets them in the door. They ask for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. Now we go to verse 21. And in verse 21, uh, there's a shift here and Herod is getting ready to make a public appearance here. Look at what verse 21 says here. Uh, On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration or delivered a speech to them. Okay, uh, I want to show you the uh, um, uh, kind of reconstructed part of the theater in Caesarea. Uh, this theater, if the, if the camera would spin 180 degrees, it looks out over the Mediterranean. It's absolutely beautiful. This is where um, Herod would have made his public appearance, dressed in his royal robes. Uh, the Jewish historian Josephus describes more of this day and talks about the royal robes that Herod came out wearing this day were head-to-toe pure silver. Head to toe in pure silver, he walks out. Go back to that uh, theater picture if we can. He walks out here. He takes his seat on a throne, and you can imagine the theater is filled. We don't know what exactly this appointed day was. Some people believe it could have been a celebration of the Caesar's birthday. Others believe uh, some other um, uh, national or Roman Empire um, special day. But decked out in all silver... And Josephus even describes how the sun hitting the silver just would radiate light out into the theater. Herod takes a seat and he delivers a speech. And now I want us, I want to leave the picture of this theater up because I want us to be sitting in the theater as Herod is speaking here. And I want you to hear what the crowd is saying. Verse 22. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. 
So he comes out, he's decked in silver, he's giving this speech, and this entire stadium, they're shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. He is God. This is not a man, the voice of a God and not of a man. And you can hear the echoes across the theater out into the Mediterranean Sea of of, of these people elevating King Herod to a position of praise that King Herod should never have sat in. And what's Herod's response to this? Before you read verse 23, I want to remind you. Uh, do, you remember, do you remember another earlier in the story of Acts? Um, Peter actually visited a house in the same city, Caesarea, a guy named Cornelius. Peter walks through the front door. Cornelius drops down on his knees and on his face, and it says he begins to worship Peter. And what did Peter do? He said, man, get up. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. No, 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 no. You don't worship me. I'm, about to, I'm here because I'm about to tell you the one you're to worship. Remember this, and let's see what is Herod's response here in verse 23. Immediately, and the people were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. Verse 23, immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God, the glory. This verse gives us the sense of exactly what's going through Herod's mind, exactly what he was thinking and doing as the people are chanting the voice of a God and not of a man. Herod is soaking it in here. Herod is basking in this. Herod has no desire to deflect the glory that's directed at him up to God, the only one who is worthy of the glory. And Herod is loving it. Herod has elevated himself here, and Herod is soaking it in, and he's loving it. But verse 23 lets us know that there's someone who is not loving this, and that someone is God. Because the scriptures teach that God shares his glory with no one. And God acts firmly in this instance, and we're told an angel of the Lord strikes Herod down because he did not give glory to God. And a stark end to that verse, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Now, I want to stop here at verse 23, and I think it's important for us as a church to do an extended teaching on what in the world is the glory of God. This is such an important thing for us to understand because if a king just lost his life for refusing to give God glory, what is the glory of God? That first question we said we were going to feel. Now, before I flash some words up on the screen in an attempt to define what the glory of God is, can we all just agree to something? There's no words we can put on a screen to define the glory of God that will adequately define the glory of God. There's no, like, there, you, can't, you can't string words together in a statement and go, oh yeah, that's the that glory of the God, the glory of God, right there. There should be something in our heart that when I put up the, 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 the definition of God's glory that you should all be going, no, 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 that doesn't quite get at it. That, but what about this aspect? And, and that seems lacking over here because you can't adequately define the glory of God. We all agree on that? But I have, because I know um, I, I'm probably not adequate to teach through this, I've, um, 
I've requested and I've elicited the help of another pastor who has taught and written extensively on the glory of God. Um, a pastor by the name, you've probably heard of him, his name is Pastor John Piper. Have you heard of him? And so Pastor John, if you're on the phone, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm kidding, yeah. <laughs> you're just gonna get his picture and quotes. Um, I love what he says in his book, Desiring, Desiring God. Some of you are really excited, right? Um, sorry, you just get me and quotes of him. The, he says in his book, Desiring God, the glory of God, his infinite and awesome greatness and worth. Break that down for a second. God is infinitely great. There is no category that God's greatness fits into. Of all of the great men and women who have graced this earth, no one, no one comes close to the greatness of God. His greatness is infinite, and his worth, his worthiness is infinite. We can't measure his greatness, but not only, go back to that definition if we can, not only is his uh, uh, his greatness infinite, um, um, his greatness and his worth is awesome. Now, that word has lost power because we use it for everything. Um, the pizza I had the other day was awesome. My kids are awesome. No, uh, by the very definition of the word awesome, uh, uh, that which produces awe, only God fits that category. He is awesome. He, and he, he is He is awesome in his greatness and his worth. Uh, think back to when Moses walks up to a burning bush and, and, uh, and they're like, hey, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And he's like, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am. There's not even a name that can capture who God is. If God would have said, um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm John, it couldn't do it. There's no name that can capture and, and, and encapsulate and package who God is because he's infinite and he's awesome in his greatness and his worth. That is the glory of God. Not perfectly. That definition lacks. But so we're all working from the same standpoint. His glory is his infinite and awesome greatness and worth. Um, Herod dies Herod is struck dead by an angel because he lacks an understanding of that. Now, it leads to an important second question. What does it mean to give God glory? So the first question just merely defined what glory is. This second question helps us get a bit more practical, and each question is going to get more and more practical as we go, so stay with me. But what does it mean to give God glory? Let's start... Let's start at step one, and let's understand what it means for God to give himself glory. And you're like, well, that seems self-seeking. No, we'll get there. We'll get there. What does it look like for God to give himself glory? How does God get glory in himself? Uh, Pastor John, help us. God's ultimate goal is to preserve and display God's ultimate goal is to preserve and display his infinite and awesome greatness and worth. That is his glory. What is God's goal for his glory? To put it on display. God wants all of creation to just stand in awe of who he is. 
He wants his glory on display from one end of the globe to the next. All of creation is about the glory of God. God's goal is to put his glory on display. Now look, let's look at what creation's goal is. Uh, Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare what? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. When's the last time you found yourself out in creation and there's something inside your heart that's screaming, worship! Anyone see that big full moon just over the horizon the other night? Is there not, Christian, something in your heart that screams worship? It's not about that moon. It's about, it's about the God who put that moon in its place like it was a, one of my kids' little Legos to him. And he gives it to us as a gift. And when you sit under a night sky that's blanketed in stars, there's something in our heart that screams worship. When you stand at the foot of a mountain that stretches into the, the, to the heavens, there's something inside of a heart that screams worship. All of creation is crying out, worship, worship, worship. When you hear the crashing of the waves onto the beach, worship. And when you sit in the stillness of the perfect calm of a lake and you hear the quiet, your heart screams, worship. Because creation, God is on a mission to display his glory. He wants to display it in himself. He's, he's ordered creation to display his glory. And now, if we are made in the image of God, and if we are part of the created order, what do you think our purpose for our life is? To point to and spotlight and display this infinitely awesome and great God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism nails it for us. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Do you see how these two things were just tied? Culture tells us your greatest joy is tied in living for your glory. No, it's not. It's a lie of the enemy. Your greatest joy is tied in living to the glory of the infinitely and great and awesome God. It's the chief end. It's the chief goal of our life. And so if God's glory is this infinite and awesome greatness and worth, and if uh, his goal, creation's goal, and our goal is to be all about the glory of God, this leads to a third and important question. Why won't God share his glory? Does this make God an egomaniac? That everything is about his glory. Why won't God share his glory? All right, thinking caps on, thinking caps on, they on? Yes? Well, first, I'm not there yet. Let me give you Isaiah 42, 8. Then you've got to put your thinking caps on. God tells us, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. So God's just told us he won't give his glory to anyone else. He won't share it. We see the stark reminder of that in the story of the end of Herod here. Um, why? Let's let Pastor John help us with this. He himself is uppermost in his own affections. A moment's reflection reveals the inexorable justice, the undeniable justice a moment's reflection reveals the inexorable justice of this fact. God 
would be unrighteous, just as we would, if he valued anything more than what is supremely valuable. We, we, we good? We there? God would be unrighteous if he valued anything than that which is supremely valuable. Then he, okay, who's supremely valuable? But he himself is supremely valuable. If he did not take infinite delight in the worth of his own glory, he would be unrighteous. For it is right to take delight in a person in proportion to the excellence of that person's glory. And all God's people said, he won't share his glory with another because it would make him unrighteous to share his glory. He won't share his glory with another because it would not be good. It's not in the best interest of his creation because the creation was created for the glory of God. And that's why he won't share it. Now, very practically, let's read verse 23 again, and then let's talk about this fourth question. And uh, and the people were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down. Because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and he breathed his last and attempted glory robbery here. How do we avoid, let's go to that fourth question, how do we avoid a life of attempted glory robbery? Five, five glory, five glory giving guardrails for us this morning. Five glory-giving guardrails. The first one is this. You start, by living a, you start with living a life to the glory of God first by believing in Jesus as Lord. You cannot give God glory in your life until you know personally this God of glory. All the fullness of God dwells in Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the second person of the Godhead who traded the splendor of heaven to come down to earth, to die on the cross for the penalty of our sin. Because here's something we have to understand this morning. Our life cannot give God the glory he has due because we're separated from him in our sin. Um, Think about what he says. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That puts all of us in the same boat pre-Christ. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of his glory. Uh, God goes on to tell us that the penalty for that sin is death. It's separation from him forever. But God, out of the great love in which he loved us, he sent his one and only son to die and to pay that death penalty on our behalf. That if we will put our faith in him, if we will believe in him, if we will cry out to him in faith, he will save us and he restores the relationship with God that we were created to have. This is the good news message. This is what the the, the entire faith of Christianity hinges on, the good news of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. If you walked in here today and you've not known Jesus, you've been separated from God in your sin, it all can change in a moment, crying out to Jesus in faith that he would save you and he would be master and Lord of your life. From that point, your life is reoriented, not perfectly, not without 
hiccups and missteps, your life begins to be reoriented. God begins to grow you and to mold you and to shape you into a a likeness to Jesus. Your desire now begins to to, to be, how can I glorify God in this? You begin to think less about exalting yourself and more about exalting Christ. But it has to start with a foundation of you in relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the starting place. Secondly, how, what are five glory-giving guardrails? Number two is this. We begin to redirect others' praise towards us or towards you vertically to God. So here's what happens. We, we live this life, and at times we do exemplary things. At times, there, um, for you students, you nailed something. You nailed a class. You just got it, and it came easy. You nailed a project. You nailed a test. For those maybe in business world, you nailed a presentation. You've led some task, some whatever, in an exemplary way. It's just gone well, and people begin to come up to you, and they begin to say, hey, Daniel, you man, you crushed that. That presentation, man, you just absolutely crush that. I don't even, as I was sitting there, I've worked at this company for 10 years, and I was sitting there listening to, you've been here, what, like two years? And the way that you articulated that aspect of our company, I don't even know, I, I, I finally get it. Man, I, I got to tell you something, dude, you are sharp, and you have a huge future ahead of here. Just well done. Daniel has a choice in that moment. You're right. I basically am the greatest thing that ever graced the doors of this company. <laughs> no, no, no. Keep it coming. I pick on him because I know that his heart is exactly the opposite of that. Or Daniel can do something that's a bit countercultural in that moment. Hey, thank you. I'm not saying we have to go around and deny compliments. Hey, thank you. But can I tell you something? I'm sitting in my office last week going, I have absolutely no idea how to tackle this thing. And so you know what I do? I don't know if you're a person of uh, faith or not, but what I began to do for the last week, I've just prayed. I've started every day with like 30 minutes of prayer about this. And you know what I believe happened just a minute ago? God gave me wisdom. And anything that you heard was good or exemplary or helpful, I just believe was given directly by God. And so I'm so appreciative of your encouraging words, but I just got to stop right here, and I, I just got to give my God glory for what happened in there. Here's two things that happen in that instance. One, for a believer, a believer goes, oh my goodness, you are so right, and the believer walks away worshiping. Thank you, God, for what you've just happened. Here's what happens in the life of an unbeliever. What? Unbelievers worship when you redirect praise to God. Unbelievers wonder. They go, I just walked up to give the guy a compliment, and how did we get on a conversation about God? And what in the... Believers worship, unbelievers wonder when we redirect the praise that people are driving towards you vertically to God. Related to this, now thirdly, five glory-giving guardrails, thirdly is this. During seasons of blessing in life, point people to the giver of the blessings. So the last one was an example of an isolated event. It went well, and people are praising you. Now you're in a, you're, you're, now you're in a sustained season where just God sometimes put us in seasons where like things are just up and to the right. 
Like, your kids are thriving. For you students, things are going well at school. You're having an awesome athletic season. Um, 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 your company is flourishing. And you're just in a season, and all of a sudden you start to hear the voices around, wow, look. Look at what's happening there. Wow, they are awesome, and they're rocking. For you to go, I think, thank, thank you, but I, can I just tell you what I think is going on? I think there are just seasons where our good and gracious God just bestows blessings on his kids. And, and life won't remain like this forever. Life has its, its, its peaks and its valleys. But can I just tell you something? To God be the glory just for the season he has us in right now. And for, if you start to use this lingo at first, it'll sound maybe a little, I don't know, hard for you. Begin to make this a habit and it becomes the very gratefulness of your heart overflowing out. You mean this. The opposite of this, five glory-giving guardrails, the opposite of the season of blessing, number four, you worship him most fervently in seasons you feel like worshiping the least. And I'm telling you something, the glory that God gets when you are not, when, when you're not on the peak but you're in the valley, when the last thing you feel like doing is worshiping your Lord because, um, uh, frankly, your life doesn't feel very worshipful. I'm telling you, the glory God gets in that moment when his people worship him, when they feel like worshiping him the least, when we are confronted with a season, with an event of life that feels like the worship has just been robbed out of our heart, what do you do first? You start worshiping. You sing those praises into your heart. I never forget the most powerful example of this. I've told you many times of my mentor through college. His name was Kurt. It's the first time I began to grow in my faith in an extensive way because Kurt was discipling and mentoring me. And um, um, He's 41. One morning, he gets up to go play pickup basketball like he did on that same day every week. Um, He's walking to his truck after the pickup basketball game, a massive heart attack. And the Lord had called him home by the time he had reached the hospital in Lafayette, Indiana, 41 years old. And um, we were close, Eric and I with some others were close to the hospital when we got the call that uh, told us that um, Kurt was with Jesus in perfection. And after a few minutes of pulling the car over and just weeping, Till we could see again, we pulled the car back on and we made our way to the hospital where just a um, close circle of our coworkers and our pastors were there with uh, Liz, his 39-year-old bride. At that moment, there were still two of their sons, uh, eight and 10, were um, studying in their elementary school with no idea that their dad had just been called to see Jesus yet. And um, I just remember, <clears throat> there's certain memories in life you remember in general, and then there's certain memories you remember the specifics, right? Remember the words that were said, you remember specific sites. And I just remember we're standing around the room in shock. <clears throat> and his 39-year-old bride says, do you guys think we could circle the bed hold hands and sing great is thy faithfulness I 
I submit to you today, her heart probably didn't feel like singing, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. I think she understood something. I need to sing right now about the faithfulness of God when an event in my life has just hit where it feels like God is the most unfaithful. We'll never forget that moment. The worship up to the Lord about his faithfulness when, it, when we all felt like worshiping the least. Worship him most fervently in seasons you feel like worshiping the least. And now, fifthly, to help guide us this week and how we go about living for the glory of God so we don't live a life of attempted glory robbery. Search for your motives before you say what you're about to say and do what you're about to do. Just ask, what, what are my motives in this? Search out your motives before you say what you're about to say, before you do what you're about to do. How do we search out our motives to get at the heart of, is, is what I'm about to say for the glory of God or the glory of me? Is what I'm about to do for the glory of God or the glory of me? How do we get at searching out our motives? Ask a one word, very powerful question, why? Why, why am I about to post this on social media? Why am I about to re redirect the conversation to something over here so that maybe we can talk about this aspect of my life? Why am I about to do what I'm about to do? Is my heart in this ultimately to spotlight the greatness of our God, or is my heart in this ultimately to spotlight myself? And if we can, how often I've not asked the why question and then I've been on the other end of saying something that was so self-serving and self-elevating. Uh, I've been on the other end of doing something that was so, so about me putting me in the spotlight. And how I've cringed after the fact to just go, oh my goodness. Just ask why. I know I need to ask that question often because I'm the most egotistical, arrogant person I know. I know apart from Jesus, I love me the most. And there's this, just a, a recalibrating question to go, Brock, what are your motives and what you're about to do and what you're about to say? We want to avoid a life of attempted glory, glory robbery. Why? Because back to what this entire message is about and what we see powerfully exemplified before us in the death of Herod, refusing to give God glory with my life will bring God's judgment on my life. And none of us here want that. We want his hand with us and his blessing on us. And if we'll live lives all about his glory, he tends to delight in blessing things that are all about his glory. Let me give us <clears throat> verse 24. It's important that you see this. Herod is taken out here and it says, the word of God increased and multiplied. Don't stand on the other way of God and his agenda. Because he's going to do whatever it takes that his word and his glory would increase and multiply. Earlier in the chapter, uh, uh, one of God's people were killed. Guess what? You can kill God's people, but you can't kill his word. Peter was thrown in prison. You can chain God's people, but you can't chain his word. The gospel's going forth. God's going to see to that, and the word of God is increasing and multiplying here. I want to leave us in a message all about the glory of God with some more just very practical things. I think 
for us to walk out of here and for our lives to be all about His glory, um, something very important has to happen in how, how we go about living our day-to-day life. Um, we get a better understanding. When we, get, when we get a better understanding of who God is, we get a better understanding of who we are. And a better understanding of who God is means we want to orient our life more around His glory because we see Him for the infinitely awesome and great God that He is. So how can we leave here today with a better understanding of who God is? A couple of practical things walking out of here. The first one, as I've already said, you have to know Christ. Today is the day. Why are you delaying? Why not call on the Lord for salvation today? How do, you're like, how do I do this? What do I say? You call. The Bible says you call on the Lord for salvation. What do I say? Call, cry out, talk to him. God, save me. God, I see the separation that my sin has created. God, I want to be saved. Tell him that. Cry out to Jesus. Repent of your past life. Uh, let, him, let, him, uh, uh, let you be born as a new creation. We start with this. Um, a better understanding of who God is gives us a better understanding of who we are. So secondly, we should study more of who God is. A regular rhythm in his word will reveal more of who he is. Do you know what the Bible is? The Bible is this unpacking of this great and glorious God and how he relates to his creation and humanity. The Bible is a book not ultimately about us. The Bible is a book ultimately about God. Uh, a, couple of, <clears throat> a couple other studies that might help you in this. Uh, J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer wrote a book called Knowing God. If you don't, if you're like, I don't want to read it, okay, do this. Get the book, go right to the chapter on the majesty of God, and read that. I'm in a corner at the 135 Starbucks crying, reading the chapter on the majesty of God. You're like, you cry all the time, though. I know. J.I. Packer's Knowing God. A second one, John Piper's book, Desiring God. Those are kind of 201, I would say 201 level. If you're like, I don't, I don't, give me 101. Uh, John Piper's book, Seeing and Savoring Christ. Get those, read it, study more about God. Thirdly, I would encourage you this week, get outside and, if I can say it, get outside and shut up. Get outside and get quiet. And just look. And just stay there until your heart gets to a place where you're just in awe of this creator God. And then fourthly, um, build into your everyday life a regular rhythm of worship. Every day. Regular rhythm of worship. You're like, but I'm not a, I'm not a music guy. I'm not a, mu- I'm not a song guy. I'm not a, singing, I'm not a singer guy. Uh, DJ, you probably don't know that you might. Uh, how many times in Scripture are we told to sing? Sing to the Lord. You can just say a lot. A lot. <laughs> We're told in Scripture all that sing to the Lord. Sing to, so if you're not a singing guy, guess what? God created you to be a singing guy. Sing to the Lord. And just build a regular rhythm in your life of worship of the greatness of who this God is. Why? Why are we talking about why are we t- what we're talking about? Why is this a message on the glory of God? Because um, in the story we just read, there's a king whose life is, uh, boom, gone, dead. Because he refused to give God glory. We exist, folks, for the glory of one. And he is the almighty God. And so if you would just stand with me, I want to sing. I want us to sing this closing prayer. 
want us to sing these words as a closing prayer. God, show us your glory. It's what we want. God, we know the longing of every heart in here is your glory. So God, show us your glory. Let's just sing this.